You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Oh, good morning. Why don't you take your Bibles and open up to the Bible book of Ephesians. Uh, we've been looking at that book quite a bit. If you don't have your Bible with you, we, could, we have the loners that we would give out. Our ushers have a stack of Bibles in their hand. They'd love to put that in your hand if you wouldn't mind. And so just rave, wave at them as they come down the aisle. I'd be happy to loan you one. Also, I want to encourage you to take out the outline that's in your worship folder. I already talked to you about lots of what's in there, so you can look at that. That outline has some blanks to fill in. The answers will be up on the screen. Uh, and to give you those answers, uh, we, have, we put together this page is called answers to sundays fill in the blanks and other verses listed so you that this paper is out in the lobby if after the service you can go grab it turn out these double doors right here and then turn left and they're at the desk right under the uh, sign that says uh, community life groups and you can go by there there's also on the other side of that is a great study guide that's uh, for our life groups many of our life groups go through this sermon based study uh, but you can also use it for personal study so i encourage you to grab that as we go through this morning now, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 to 24, and we're starting a new series, uh, teaching series this morning, as I mentioned, called Jesus Built. Let's do this, looking at our part in this family. We talked a lot about the family before, and now we're talking about our part in this family, this church Jesus said he would build. And so I encourage you with that and, and, and pick up those notes and study guide and, and so forth, and encourage you, if you're not involved in a life group, to get involved in one and bless you in that. Well, I'm sure some of you have noticed but it's almost here. People have already been planning for it for months, but Christmas is in nine weeks from today. I, I cannot... I, I, it's not even Halloween yet, right? <laughs> and now we're talking about Christmas. I walked into Costco just the other day and got handed this brochure or this thing. Says, Here's your holiday shopping list. It's already set. In, and, and that sale only goes from like tomorrow to, to uh, like November 6th. And so you better start your shopping soon. And maybe some of you have already started your shopping and maybe you're already done and, and we hate you. Um, but, we're, <laughs> but stores and advertisers are already ramped up and, and most are all the way in full swing of this and, and Christmas decorations have been up all the, all the while. But although realtor, uh, realtors, <laughs> retailers are interested in the money made at Christmas, the deeper reality is this wonderful season where our world, most of our world, focuses in on Christ, the Christ of Christmas. And really, it's focusing in on the incarnation of Christ, uh, the, the Christ squeezing himself into the tininess of a human, uh, being born and growing up and living among us and showing us how we should relate to God and, and how to live and teaching us. But more than that, he came as the songs all sing at Christmas, Christ the Savior is born. He came to save us from our unfortunate condition. And we talk a lot about that condition. It's the Bible calls it the, the, our sinful nature or that we're born into sin. And, and we keep kind of adding to that sin all the while acting out on things that God has told us not to do. We go ahead and do. And God tells us things to do. And we just simply don't do them. Uh, and the Bible calls that sin and says all have fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us are in the same boat. We're all sinners. 
And it sounds like, oh man, I went to church today and Mike said we're all sinners. So just stay with me. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. See, you already admitted it. That's the truth. We're all in that same boat. And the problem with this condition of sin is that it stops us from a lot. It stops us from knowing God in a personal way. It stops us from uh, living out our full potential. And it eventually keeps us out of heaven. And, and the worst part about this is there's nothing we can do to change that condition. We're in sin, all about sin, and there's nothing we can do we can change that. We can't try to counteract it by being good or somehow wash it away by some good action. Though those good actions are great habits to get into, they don't change our sinful soul. We need a savior. And that's why we get so excited at Christmas time. It's not just the presents under the tree and the holiday family stuff. It's the present of God giving us this gift by his grace of Jesus saying, if you come in faith, believing in him, you no longer are held back by that sinful condition. That's the greatest gift ever. I mean, salvation. Wow. God has given us an incredible uh, blessing in that. I love, I, I talked about this last week, but take, you're in Ephesians, but do me a favor, flip over to Romans. It's just west of where you are, a few uh, books. Romans chapter six. Boy, if you could ever read, I mean, all of Romans is phenomenal, but chapters five, six, seven are just wonderful, helping you understand our sinful condition and what Christ has done for us. But listen, verse six of, of Romans chapter six. We know that our old self, that's the sinful self, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. In other words, that sin loses all of its power when we come to faith and believe in Jesus. It, it can't hold us back from knowing God. It can't hold us back from our potential and it can't hold us back from heaven. It, it's nothing. Man, an opportunity to make sin nothing, wouldn't you want to jump into that? It brought us nothing so that we are no longer enslaved to sin. For the one who died has set us free. That's Jesus from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live in Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead, and when He rose from the dead, He said, yeah, I did take care of sin. Kind of puts an exclamation point on all He taught about, about salvation. We know that Christ has been raised from the dead. We will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over us. Verse 10, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives now to God. So you must consider yourselves as dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, Jesus came to deal with our sin condition, show us how to relate to God, but Jesus also came to do another thing. He came to establish his gathering of believers called the church. In an interesting interaction with Peter and the disciples, uh, Jesus was talking with them and, and he happened to ask them, men, who do people say that I am? A couple of his disciples uh, said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist come back from the dead. Others say that you're Elijah or Elisha. And then Peter, you could almost imagine this scene and Peter's kind of looking around going, well, don't you guys get it? <laughs> and, and I don't th I hear him saying it in so much a resolve, but I just hear him saying it as a matter-of-fact thing. Well, you're the Christ, the, the Son of the living God. Isn't that what you've been talking about this whole time? <laughs> and Jesus says something very interesting when Peter says that. It's up on the screen. It's also on your notes. Matthew 6, 18. And I tell you, 
you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. First time that word's been used in that gospel. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, there's a little bit of controversy over what the upon this rock means. Was Jesus referring to Peter? And if you're uh, from the Catholic Church, that's what you believe. You believe that, that that's, basically that's where they get the idea that every pope has the same authority as Christ or as Peter. Because upon that rock, which means Peter, because the word Peter means rock or stone. And so that's what it means. But more likely, as you study the Greek, it means more what Peter said, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And upon that, that's where the church is built. And Jesus calls this, he says the word church. The word is, it's a Greek word, it's a Greek word, ekklesia, which means sent out ones. Sent out ones on a mission. Sent out ones to do the, the will of God. See, never did it say, uh, sit in ones. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is that I think that's what we, when we think about church. We think about sitting in a building, listening to fun worship and, and being challenged by an inspiring message. And, and we walk out of here going, oh, wasn't that wonderful? This is not the church. See, we're the church when we're in action. Because actually it says, sent out ones, called out ones. It's the ones that are out doing something. That's the church. It's not a building. It's not even a meeting. It's actually the action of the, the people of God, a, a band of believers on a mission. The family of God about God's business, built on Jesus, who He is, as Lord and Savior and His purposes. And all through Scripture, we have been given instructions of how we should live and participate in in this church or on Jesus' building crew. As we link together, and as Home Depot says, let's do this. That we should band together and, and let's do this together. Let's, let's be about what Christ is building and, and participate in that regard. And now Paul, at the end of this letter of the gathering of believers in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, he gives five key elements to jump in and participate with what Jesus is doing. And these are important for the church to thrive. And yes, it does cost us a little bit of something and energy and effort to be involved in that. And the truth is, unfortunately, not a lot of churches are jumping in like that. Not a lot of churches are thriving these days. I, I hear time and time again of another church closing, another church disbanding. You know, according to Thomas Rayner, a church growth expert, he says historically... American congregations have been um, tenacious and survived beyond most expectations, but that's really no longer true. Ineffective churches will decline rapidly as churchgoers are unwilling to be part of congregations that are not making a difference. And some of you may either be visiting here or started attending here because the church that you were involved with somehow grew inward and was no longer thinking about the mission that God's called us in. And some people have left this church because they wanted to be involved in a church that only thought about themselves. That sounds so bad. But it's how we can serve ourselves and not serve the purposes of God. And God has called us out to be involved in this and to thrive. And and the question comes, how do we thrive as a church? This gathering of believers, this this, uh, group of people on a movement of God. 
And how do we thrive as part of this community of believers? So let's discover these five key elements together as we pay the cost and join in this Jesus-built church under the challenge, let's do this together. But before we do, if you wouldn't mind setting your papers aside and your Bibles, and why don't you stand up and let's ask God to to challenge us this morning. Father God, I I thank you for uh, the family of believers that you've called us to uh, an active um, group of people seeking to build your kingdom, build your church, build uh, the purposes that you have called us to. And, And God, we know that we're supposed to be part of that. And so I pray this morning that as we walk through this, you will help us understand maybe what our part is, our specific part is, how we can jump into what you're doing uh, with your movement in this world. Challenge us, Holy Spirit, do your work in us. And, and for those of us who are struggling, God, I pray that you'd minister to us along the way as we seek to understand your word and put our focus towards you. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Have a seat, and I encourage you to jot down some notes and again, pick up that study guide to get these extra verses that we mentioned as we go along. But five key elements to jump in and participate with what God is doing. So let's look at this and take your Bibles. If, you, if you're in Romans, go back to Ephesians uh, chapter 6, the last four verses of chapter 6, starting in verse 21. And let me, um, let me read it for you. Sometimes these, these final greetings or these last few verses of, of Paul's letters, we tend to breeze over as kind of nice benedictions, but they're still the powerful word of God and they have something to say to us. So see if you can pick out those five elements as I read along uh, this morning in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21 to 24. Paul writes and he says, So that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Five key elements to jump in and participate. The first key element to let's do this together is to seek connection. You you sense that in that first part of of this letter as Paul is writing. He says, so that we also know what I'm doing and how I'm doing. He wants to connect. And one of the ways we connect is we communicate. Paul didn't have email or text or even a phone, so he sent Tychicus. Paul wanted to keep the connection lines open. And he took the initiative to share and ask for prayer. Matter of fact, if we just turn a couple of verses over of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, Paul says, pray for me, for I am an ambassador in chains. He was in prison at the time and he needed some prayer, so he asked. That communication creates a connection. See, we're never, we were never intended to fight alone in this battle or to build this church alone. Jesus is already working and, and we're to connect with others and join in. That's why in Hebrews 10.24 it says this, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. And that takes communication and, and interaction. It's what's supposed to happen in our life groups. I asked my life group uh, last Wednesday if I had permission to share some of our stories and, and they said, of course. And, and so 
we, uh, Christian and I, for this campaign, the, the previous uh, series we went to, we were at, uh, we started a, a new life group in our home on Wednesday nights. And we gathered a, a whole group of different people. Some young married, some married for just a little bit, some trying to start a family, others had a family for a long time, some with grandkids, some singles. All kinds of different people are in this group. So it's a, it's a little bit of a mixed bag of, of people. And then the first week was kind of, you know, let's get to know each other and, and stuff like that. And then I think it was around the second week, um, we were starting to, uh, to gel a little bit. But uh, what really helped us gel is when Michelle chose to ask a question. Uh, she was a little embarrassed about the question because she didn't want to come across like she didn't know the Bible or know some of these, these truths. She'd been a believer for a while and, and so was a little bit embarrassed to ask a, a question. It wasn't a, 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 just a, a little question. It was a pretty intense question, but she just wasn't sure. And, and, and finally, she kind of overcame her fear and, and was a little bit more vulnerable and asked the question. And something amazing happened. Uh, different people started uh, chiming in. Hey, I felt that way too. And you know, I felt that same way too. And here's how I've handled it. Here's how I've handled it. And we get dug into the scriptures even more and, and saw how God answers that question. Uh, the important thing wasn't the question, but the fact that, that Michelle stepped out and she asked a question. She started to communicate what she was feeling and, and her vulnerability opened up to us to now, you, you can't really shut up our life group. <laughs> uh, we talk all the time, and it's a wonderful thing because Michelle kind of was that catalyst to get it going. In the same way with us, when we talk out and we begin to start sharing ideas in our hearts and a little vulnerable, that communication creates a togetherness. And Paul here is in this letter, is he's doing that same thing. He's, he's, he, he's being a little vulnerable and opening up. And Tychicus is sharing some of the hurts that Paul is going through. And, and so there can be a, a greater connection with people. If people don't know what's going on inside, how will they ever know? Somehow we want them to just kind of figure it out. Like, oh, I know. And that doesn't happen. Even if you've been married for a long time, you cannot read your spouse's mind. Sometimes you think they are reading your mind. How did they know that? But you need to communicate. That's what God gives us words for, to be able to express out and to be able to share out, and we need to talk out. And, and our, our group loves to talk. We t- hang out until late, and it's fun chatting after our study, and we're praying for each other, we're helping each other, we're encouraging each other. So in relationships, and if you're not in a life group, get in one. Or get in some kind of relationship where you have an opportunity to share and to talk and to be vulnerable and ask questions and to share answers. And all of that interaction happens because some beautiful things happen when we connect. And that communication fosters that. So I encourage you with that. Yes, it costs. It costs time and energy and effort and sacrifice. And being vulnerable, it costs. But it's well worth it. Connection happens when we communicate. That togetherness is built. But, but also notice how Paul describes Tychicus. He says, Tychicus, the beloved brother. Tychicus was a warm relational person. Not a distant, aloof, or self-absorbed person. He cared and, and he was active in that care. Matter of fact, if you want a specific example of Tychicus caring, just write down the book of Philemon. Uh, Philemon is, a, is about um, Philemon who was a slave owner at the time and, and 
that was accepted back then in the Mediterranean culture, and, and you had, it was like a paid employee, sometimes worse, sometimes like that, but, but paid employee. And one of his employees, Onesimus, decided to run away and kind of shirk his responsibility and leave. So he was a runaway slave. Well, he became a Christian. Tychicus and Paul understood that, and so Tychicus brought Onesimus back and, and, and actually talked to Philemon and tried to soften him to understand that he is a brother in Christ too because Tychicus was that kind of a guy. You can read about it in the Bible book of Philemon uh, as you walk through that. But um, we're to be more beloved. We're to be like Tychicus. Ephesians 4, uh, 32 says, Be kind to one another, brother, uh, tender-hearted, together forgiving each other as God in Christ is forgiving you. Well, we could spend a whole sermon on this verse to being kind, what tender-hearted means. And of course, that difficult thing that is hard for us is to forgive one another. But I love the qualifier that Paul puts on this when he's writing the Ephesian believers as God in Christ has forgiven you. Boy, in that sinful condition, he forgave us of it all. And if God's forgiven you, why couldn't you not forgive somebody else? Galatians uh, 6.10 puts it this way. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith. See, it's being kind. Being beloved is to being kind. It's being relational and nice. That connects. Could that be said of you? Beloved, put your name there. As well, Paul calls Tychicus faithful. A faithful minister in the Lord. In other words, he was trustworthy. He kept his word. He did what he said he would do. He was not a, afraid of responsibility. <laughs> I don't know what it is today. We're, we're so afraid of responsibility. Oh, I can't handle that. I can't, I can't. I've got too much going on. And all you're asking me is just to bring donuts. Oh, but if I bring donuts this week, they're going to ask me to bring donuts from now until eternity. I can't handle that responsibility. <laughs> And we get so worried about what we're being responsible for and yet we just need to step up into it. The the, the thing is this. When you are responsible with with a task or with somebody that somebody's asked you to do, you're showing a faithfulness when you follow through. How will people know your word if you're not being faithful? So it, it helps develop that faithfulness among us so that people can be counted on. Tychicus was called faithful because whatever task Paul asked him to do, he went for it with gusto. He was like Paul's right-hand man along with Timothy. In many of the letters you hear him written about, it would be a great study for you to look at the, the character of Tychicus and walk through all the ways that he was so faithful, following through with what God has asked him to do, especially with the whole idea with Onesimus and, and Philemon. But he was faithful because he was not afraid of responsibility. So the question comes, can people count on you? Have you even given any opportunity for them to count on you? See, if we're part of this wonderful work team, we're to invest in relationships and seek connection. Connection through communication and being beloved and being faithful. And yes, it is awkward. I mean, we're, just, we're, we're awkward people. 
we do funny things and have our own little idiosyncrasies. And, you know, some of us are introverted and some of us are extroverted and some of us love sports and some of us don't love sports and some of us love food and some of us don't like food and some of us like chocolate and some people don't. How can that be? <laughs> but we're all different and, and we're a little awkward. I mean, like the person next to you, they're really awkward. But so are you. And we're meant to, to relate together and what's, what's the beautiful thing about um, the church, this, these called out ones, is that regardless of whatever ethnic background or anything that's different about us, there's a unity in the love of Christ because we've all come from being sinners to being those who are saved and saints in God. We have that same unity among us and we can share in that unity. And communication is vital. And so is each of us seeking to be beloved and faithful. These are just the catalysts we need for, for a church, for our church even, to thrive. The question is, will you be connected in that way? Seeking to communicate, seeking to be more beloved and trustworthy. The next key element <clears throat> is to pursue peace. Uh, in this he says, peace be to you, in verse 23. This peace seeks to encourage all to go after that sense of harmony and well-being. The Hebrew equivalent to this word of peace here is the word shalom, which means peace, prosperity, blessing, and goodwill to you. It's a, it's, a, it's a greeting and a blessing at the same time. And we're challenged to be about peace. Uh, Psalms 34 verse 14 says, Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Uh, that same verse is quoted in 1 Peter 3.11. It, it means run after peace. Take action to create a, a peaceful experience among you. And Scripture teaches us and challenges us. We're, we're to talk through our issues. When we have a, a, an issue with a brother, we're to go with that brother and to talk it out, to make sure that we have taken the log out of our own eye before we look at the speck in a brother's eye. And We're to talk out our issues and not just simply clamp up and never share them. Like I said, we're awkward and we make mistakes and we, we say things we shouldn't and we misunderstand and communication needs to be clarity. And so we do that. We're to talk out those things. In the same way as, as uh, uh, Matthew 7 verse 1 says that we're not to judge. We're not to pass judgment on people. God is the judge. He's the one that's going to take care of that. It doesn't mean we, we don't talk out issues or, or confront issues when we know that somebody's doing something wrong or when they've wronged us. We still confront those and the scripture tells us how to do that and that's that talking sense. But we don't pass judgment on them and call them less because of that. In the same way, we use gentle words. Proverbs 15, verse 1 says, A gentle word turns away wrath. I love how Colossians 4, 6 puts it. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We're to to think through our words and to be gentle and kind with us. Some of us come across so harsh and it also means attitude as well. You know, we can say the right words but say them in such a gruff way that people don't get, I love you! That doesn't sound like they love you at all. I apologize. Okay, fine. That's not an attitude of forgiveness. Our tone matters. Not, it's not, and it's not just our kids who have tone. We have tone too. And we need to be careful of our tone that it communicates as well. We're to 
talk out our issues, not judge, use gentle words and watch our tone, but also pray. Acknowledging God's greatness and power. Pray for His will to be done. Pray for the situations and circumstances in our life. And I love how Philippians 4, 6, and 7 puts it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here it is. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There is a a peace that flows over our body when... Uh, when we pray. It's that sense that God has this and then we have a sense of others praying for us. There's a collection that, you know what, I'm going to make it through this. And a, and a peace surpasses understanding, guards our hearts and our minds. Pursuing peace brings about togetherness. Will you pursue peace? The next key element in let's do this together is to show love. Like five different times Paul uses the word love in these last few verses. Love is important. And we're going to talk more about that in a few weeks, but we're to choose to show love, that that sacrificial and selfless love of Jesus. And we're to show that to those around us. Here's just just four things about love that, that Jesus did. Jesus loved by spending time with people. He not only spoke in big groups, but he also went down and talked with people. He sat with the woman at the well. He he talked with the centurion. He saw Zacchaeus up in that tree and said, Zacchaeus, come down. We're going to chat together today. He spent time with people. If we want to love like Jesus, it's getting close to people and talking to people and developing relationships. And sometimes that's the scariest thing because we don't exactly know how. And so we need to work at that. We're so busy with our jobs and so busy with our life, we just seem to have no time for people, yet we need to carve out time and to show love. Jesus was also attentive. He sat with sinners and heard their story, even got criticized for that. He spent time with his disciples, talking with them and challenging them and encouraging them and being beside them and walking them through some of the difficult things of their own life. Jesus not only was attentive and spent time, he empathized. He felt with people. That's an important reality because Jesus feels with you. He was there with Martha and Mary and saw the people's hurt over Lazarus being, having died and he wept. He, he cried. He looked over Jerusalem and he could see the plight of the people and they were going to miss his coming. And he wept. He felt with people. Remember, a great study would be to go through the times when Jesus, it says, it says Jesus has compassion. There was a funeral procession going along and, and this woman's only son died and she was distraught, weeping. And it says Jesus was moved with compassion. He was traveling to villages and, and, and towns and, and he saw people as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion on them. He felt that deep feeling within. He hurt and empathized with their struggles. And we need to do the same. That EQ, E-quotient, emotional quotient that we seem to be lost in our world today, knowing that our words really do hurt people. 
And we need to empathize with them and, and understand that, yes, when someone says something mean, it does hurt them and, and feel with them. And Jesus took action. He fed people. He healed people. And he went to the cross. He didn't just talk. He actually took action. If we're going to love like Jesus, we need to spend time with people. We need to be attentive. We need to empathize. We need to take action. Loving like Jesus creates an atmosphere of trust. And that loving feeling brings about great, a great family bond and togetherness. Another key element in the let's do this together is to foster faith. Peace be to you, verse 23, and love with faith. For to love like Jesus is to continue to grow in faith in Jesus, to increase in trust and reliance on Him. How does that happen? It's when we take the risks to step out in faith in our time, and our talent, and our treasure. Yeah, our lives are packed. We have no time. So to grow in faith, we stretch out and, and take a leap of faith in those areas to, to serve Him more, to be about His business in the same way with our, with our talents, to, to say, you know what, I'm not sure if I can use that talent, but oh, I'm going to step out, I'm going to see if God can use that for His glory. The same with our treasure. Boy, we hold on to our money. We shouldn't even call it our money. The money that we have with, a, with white knuckles saying, no one's going to get my money. <laughs> and and we're, not, we're not generous people. And yet God calls us to step out in faith and in our treasure. And yeah, more knowledge is about fostering faith, but the idea is not to have a huge head that we're walking around here. I know all the knowledge of God in the Bible. But where faith really happens is when that knowledge is exercised in action. And you know what God does? <laughs> God gives us opportunities to exercise our faith. He is that good about us. He doesn't want to become all these uh, fat-headed, you know, knowledge-ridden believers. He brings into us circumstances so that our faith is uh, pushed. And you know what those things are called? They're called trials. Remember James chapter 1, verse 2? Consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you counter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. See, God doesn't want you just to sit back and you know, sit. He wants you to get active. So he says, okay, I'm gonna, we're going to bring these trials into your life. We already know they're coming, but just we're going to help you through them, not make you avoid and we're going to have you walk right straight into them so that your faith is stretched and so that your faith is tested so you can now apply all this knowledge of how great and amazing and wonderful and awesome and, 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 and beautiful God is and apply it to the circumstance you're going through and your faith grows. It's applied knowledge that builds faith. Jesus quotes the disciples in this area and challenge them with their little faith. Write down Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 to about 27. You can read the verses around that. You can read it later. It's a story. Jesus is, um, he just gotten through doing some incredible miracles and things like that. And he gets in the boat and tells the boys, row to the other side. And they're, they're, they're rowing and he's just asleep. He's exhausted. He's been doing all kinds of amazing things. And, and here are these... Uh, fishermen, these burly fishermen, they're out rowing and all of a sudden the, the waves start crashing over and the storm is raging and they're, and they're starting to freak out and they're kind of screaming like little schoolgirls, ah, what are you going to do? And they, there's Jesus there. They said, so they start, wake up Jesus. And, 
And uh, Jesus is going, what? Ah, okay. And he calms the storm. And he looks at the disciples and he says, oh, you of little faith. Because here they had the King of kings and the Lord of lords, almighty God in the boat with them. And they should have just strained the oars and pushed through this trial. Instead, they freaked out in fear. They had just seen lepers cleansed, the centurion's servant healed from a distance, and people healed probably hundreds of sickness and demons cast out, and, and yet they freaked out. It was a test of their faith, and they didn't do so well. See, little faith equals fear in storms. Big faith equals confidence in storms. So we're to, to let those storms work in us and know, okay, I got an option. I got a, I got a trial that I'm going to go through and see how I'm, I'm going to do in faith. <laughs> Sometimes they hit us by surprise and we need to kind of you know, do a little mental gymnastics to think that through. But we're to be excited about that. Consider it pure joy, brethren, because we know that God is at work in our life challenging us, testing us. And we should be seeing what is God trying to work through me with this? You know, I love watching my wife in a lot of ways. I mean, she's a phenomenal, amazing, beautiful, incredible woman. And uh, to watch her go through this knee surgery, it was tough. It's tough when someone you love so much to see them in pain and know there's nothing you can do about it. And you, you, know, you can encourage them to take more drugs, but then they get a little wacky. But w- what I've watched my wonderful, godly wife do is as she's walked through this, she, know this is, she knows this is a trial that God is bringing her through. And she is journaling, she's praying, she's seeking God to figure out what it is that God is going to teach her in faith through this. And she's learned some neat and incredible lessons that have been incredibly encouraging to me and, and I'm so proud of her. And by the way, you might want to pray for her. She goes back to work tomorrow. And um, so excited for you. Yeah, you can make it, honey. <clears throat> it's just now her right knee is hurting. So that's going to great. One knee down, now another one. So... But the idea is to learn through these storms and to, be, and, and, and to seek God to them. Because when our faith is built, we're able to encourage others. And as we, we are to then strap on that, that shield of faith. Remember we talked about this last week, that the, the Roman shield was like a, a, a rectangular shield that actually linked together. And so the, the Roman army would march forward this impenetrable wall to extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. Well, in the same way, we're to link together with others. You know, one of the things that encouraged Christy in her, in her knee is that at Sandy, one of the members of our church here, she also went through the same uh, surgery, the same doctor, the same hospital. And, and she was a great encouragement to Christy as she walked through this. And that's how faith works. We, when we link together, we're encouraged by other people's stories because they've gone there through that too. Because somebody else has gone through an issue you're going through, a... a, a a loss of some kind, a, a job turnover, a, a financial issue, a, a cancer, divorce, a sickness, a child who's not walking with God. There's people who have, are one maybe step a little farther along in that trial and they can be such an encouragement to you as you link together. Because the enemy wants to keep you uh, not moving in faith and he wants to level you and thinking, oh, the world's against me, God hates me, you know, everything's bad, you know, I'm going to go eat worms. You know, it's, it, he wants us to feel that way. And yet that's not what trials are too. They're to help us in our faith. 
but it does take an openness and a vulnerability, it will foster faith. So set your hearts on that to grow in faith. And as you are encouraged, you will encourage others and it will foster faith and create a togetherness. One more element at these five to let's do this together and to create this togetherness is to give grace. Look at the last verse, verse 24. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Paul is challenging the atmosphere of the church in Ephesus. They had incredible diversity. They had people who were wealthy, people who were poor. They had people with different political bents. They had racial tensions between the whole Jew and Gentile thing. They had people involved in the sex trade at that at that point they had all kinds of different issues going on in their church and Paul challenged them to to give grace grace be with all grace this this element of grace is to permeate all of our relationships it's taken in God's grace and and, and Paul talked about that in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17 and and all or verse 7 and also in, in Ephesians 2 8 and 9 for by grace you've been saved through faith Helping us that we, because we've understood God's grace. See, we didn't deserve, we don't deserve to be saved out of our sinful condition. We don't deserve anything with that. We need to understand that and, and understand our own depravity. But by grace, we've been taken out of that into this wonderful, incredible family that God has for us. And because we've received so much grace, we are to be kind and nice and giving to others, not because they're kind or nice or giving to us, but because God has been that way to us and because God has pr- prompted us to do that, like random acts of kindness. That's grace. Jesus told a story, and you can write this down, you can look it up later, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 to around 34. It's a story of this uh, uh, master who had a, a servant who didn't quite handle his affairs very well and now is calling him to an account saying, you now need to give me back the, the money that you say you took to invest and all that kind of stuff. And, and the servant is just flipping out because he doesn't have it to give back. He spent a lot of it on his own self and he doesn't have to give back to the master. And, and so uh, um, he, he says he ordered the servant to be thrown into debtor's prison. And the, the servant said, please, please, begged with the master. And finally the master's had mercy, had grace on him and said, okay, your debt's forgiven. And you think that would be the end of the story, they'd be great, except that servant went out and had somebody who owed him a little bit of money, very little bit, and wrung his neck and said, you need to pay me back and threw him, had him thrown into debtor's prison. Well, the master caught wind of it and said, oh, you wicked servant. Here you were given mercy, big mercy, and you won't even give a little bit of mercy over here. Sometimes I wonder if that's how we are with grace. We don't get the fact that we have been blessed beyond belief, that we have salvation, we have adoption, we have family and purpose and direction and meaning in life, and that's all just been handed to us by grace. And yet we we become so graceless in our relationships and our actions But yet grace is what binds us together. When we accept 
God's grace, God's great grace, and practice showing that grace, it builds Jesus' kingdom, his building project. And there is a sense of togetherness, and that is amazing. That's amazing grace. And it's a choice of ours. Will we give that grace as we've received it? Jesus, Ephesian church thrived in its day. But if you go there today, it's gone. It's just a bunch of ruins. Now sure, no church building uh, is set to last forever. But Jesus' church, these called out ones, these called out ones to serve uh, us people, his building crew, they last and thrive together. So let's be the church Jesus built. And let's do this together as we seek connection through communication and being beloved and trust and faithful, as we pursue peace and show love and foster faith and give grace. Let's do that. Let's do it together. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the, uh, just the good word uh, uh, from Ephesians today and the challenge to really be this amazing work team that doesn't just sit, but actually gets active, seeking to communicate better and to, to be uh, all about what you do, Lord, and to, to, to connect and all of those things, Lord, to foster faith and love and peace and, 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 and all about grace. Lord, help us with that. Help us to be the people that you want us to be. Lord, I know that you've challenged us. Continue to have us move forward with that, we pray in your son's name. Amen.